So we've been dealing with King Saul over the past few weeks, and we remember he was a talented young man, uh, but he wasted his potential, and he ended up killing himself in shame. And this was his fatal flaw. He forgot that God doesn't use us because we are great. God chooses to use us so that when the world sees him use us, the world will know that he is great. See, Saul decided that he would disobey God and he did the work that was reserved for only the priest. And that day, Saul uh, was told by God this. He said, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought after a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. God tells Saul, hey, look, you cho- uh, chased after your own will, but I'm looking for someone that's chasing after my heart. See, Samuel tries to continue to make things work with Saul as king, but God is done with Saul. We see that in 1 Samuel 15, 11, and we'll be in these few chapters in 1 Samuel if you want to ch- uh, turn there. But this is what God says. He says, I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandment. That word regret there really stuck out to me. That seems kind of weird to me, right? Uh, God regretted that he made Saul king. What does that mean for God to say, I regret? Can God change his mind? Can we thwart God's plans? Is God ignorant about the future? Is God just like us in that he can make honest mistakes and sometimes look back on his decisions and say, golly, I wish I had that one over to do do over again. John Piper points out that uh, God is quite capable of lamenting a state of affairs that he himself foreknew and brought about. God can look back at Saul and say, I'm grieved that he sinned and it's time to find another king while still maintaining, I have never changed my mind. 1 Samuel 16.1 goes on and says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. He says, look, get over Saul. I've got a new king that you're going to anoint, and he'll find him in the house of Jesse the Bethlehemite, which is talking about King David, which you most likely heard about, but also is a foretelling of Jesus. You're going to find him of the lineage of David, and uh, you're going to find him in the town of Bethlehem. See, God is done with Saul, and he tells Samuel to get ready to anoint another king. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and inspects all the sons, oldest to youngest. But God says, this time, Samuel, we're not going to look for someone who looks like he'll be a good king. Yes, Saul had all the qualities. He was tall and handsome and all those things. But this time, we're going to look deeper. And so Jesse starts bringing his sons to stand before Samuel. And he brought his first son, Eliab. 
And he has the look of a king. Or like, man, this guy looks like he will be the next king. Verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. I really love that part right there. Uh, That really applies to me. He says, Because I have rejected him. Don't look at what he looks like on the outside. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's an amazing promise. Uh, you might not be physically gifted, but God doesn't care because he looks at the heart. See, Saul's heart chased after his own will. But God was looking for a young man who had a heart chasing after him. See, David wasn't the tallest or the most impressive He was an afterthought in this king search. Jesse presented all of his other seven sons first. And lastly, he calls for David. Oh yeah, I guess I do have another son. But he's so young, how could he be king? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. And he sent and brought him, meaning David, in. Now he was ruddy, he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So Samuel anoints David to be the next king. Now, obviously, David's relationship with Saul was not going to end well, right? Saul was the current king. And here we have Samuel anointing the next king already. That was going to get a little awkward there. But David goes on to become perhaps the greatest king of Israel, only maybe rivaled by his own son, Solomon. But what sets David apart, what what makes him different? How is David different than Saul? We know that God was searching for a man after his own heart. But was David special in some way? Did David have some sort of spiritual connection that me and you cannot have? Well, you know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was mocking God, and the young David stood before him when no one else would, and Goliath fell. King Saul was so uh, jealous of David's popularity because the people loved David. He was so jealous that he set out to kill David, and David was pursued by Saul for years. David lost everything, and he left his home, and he even left his own country. But David never once took matters into his own hands. He could have killed Saul on multiple occasions and taken the throne. He could have said, this is mine. Uh, God's given it to me, so I'm going to make it happen. But he didn't. He left it in God's hands. Acts 13.22 tells us that uh, when he had removed him, meaning Saul, he raised up David to be their king. Of whom he testified, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. What does that mean? What does it mean to be after something? I've got a short video here that uh, illustrates that. Go ahead and and play that, Valerie. Here you're going to see... Uh, some people that are after something, and this is in Central Park in New York City. Look at the 
They stopped traffic and everything. The funny thing is, is they're chasing uh, invisible pocket monsters known as Pokemon. This is what, four or five years ago when uh, the Pokemon Go was really a big thing. They saw them on their phones, these little monster deals, and they said, I've got to get out of my car right now, and I've got to go and run and chase after this thing. That's what it means to be after something. It means to pursue or to follow or to chase. See, Saul chased his own glory. And when Saul found out that David was going to be the next king, he chased David. See, David was God's will for the kingdom of Israel, but Saul wanted to kill God's will. See, David's heart wasn't especially unique. What made David different was his relentless pursuit of God's heart. He was after God's heart. Are you chasing after God's heart? So we've been talking about how we can reach our potential or how we possibly could waste our potential. And the question is this. It's simple. Are you chasing after God's heart? When we wake up, is it about what we want to do on a Saturday morning or is it about what God's heart wants us to do? Do you love the things that God loves? Does your heart break for what breaks God's heart. Now, was David perfect? No. He had an affair with Bathsheba, and then he sent her husband to the front lines to be killed. He counted the people when God told him specifically not to. He made big mistakes. So it wasn't that David was perfect. See, the Bible gives us a glimpse of what happened to David in his heart when he sinned. 2 Samuel 24.10, it says, but David's heart struck him. David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. He said, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away my iniquity from your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Several times in the Bible, it says that David's heart struck him when he sinned. It hurt David's heart to sin. When was the last time your heart hurt over your sin? That's called conviction. It's called repentance. When you look at your sin like God looks at your sin, not just sorry that you got caught or just sad about the consequences of your sin. David's heart was different in this way in that when he did wrong, he felt it in his heart. We see this when David's heart heard over uh, the sin that he had with Bathsheba. He had excruciating pain after that sin. And we see that in Psalms 51. Go ahead and turn there just for a second. This has always been a chapter of the Bible that has specifically resonated with me. Namely, because I'm a sinner. Tells us this is the psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Nathan stood before him and, and basically said, you have sinned against God. You have had an affair. You have, uh, you know, done wrong. And as a king, you can imagine 
how hard it would be to admit that you are wrong in a way because everyone else is around you telling you how great you are and how awesome you are and agreeing with you. And sometimes you can begin to believe those things about yourself. But we see here David's heart was different in this way, that he felt the pain of his sin. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and hold me with your willing spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God isn't interested in religious rituals. You can give God a sacrifice and have perfect attendance at church, but God wants your heart. You could do all the church things and still miss heaven. You could do all of the ritual and religious and traditional things and not have a relationship with God. See, clearly in this passage, David's heart was broken over his sin. He knew that he had broken God's law and hurt people. And he admitted his sin and he took responsibility for it. And he asked God to forgive him and clean him up. He asked God to give him a new and a clean heart. He wanted to be free from the guilt and the shame that his sin brought him and have the joy of his salvation back. David was struck by his heart, but God forgave him. What is your heart after? What is your heart after? You can tell what your heart is after by what you spend the most time on. What gets your focus and your attention? What you sacrifice for most means the most to you. Do you sacrifice the most for your job, for golf, for being right all the time, for friends? That is what your heart is after. 
When was the last time our hearts hurt over our sin? Is your heart moved when you see someone in need or someone lost and on their way to hell? If we want to be the heart of Clarksburg, we have to chase after the heart of God. That's what breaks God's heart break yours. And this is why hopefully we've been having this year of prayer and you've been joining us. And we've been praying as a church and begging God to lead us in who he wants us to be and what he wants us to do. Don't be like Saul. Don't take matters into your own hands. Heart full of yourself and your ideas and your opinions. David wasn't perfect, but he pursued the heart of God. And when he sinned, he got it right. See, Saul, when he sinned, he blamed other people and he shifted the blame and he said, I couldn't, there was no other way out. But David said, I have sinned. My sin is ever before me. I know that I've done wrong. I need your help, God. Forgive me. Saul died in shame and David was one of the greatest kings that ever lived. We cannot forget that God doesn't choose us because we are great. He chooses us so that when the world sees him use us, the world will know that he is great. See, we've been talking about wasted potential and reached potential. And there's perhaps no greater comparison than Saul and David. Saul followed after his own heart, but David followed after God's heart. Don't be like Saul. If you want to reach your potential, you have to relentlessly chase the heart of God. This morning, we're going to take a little bit of time as the band comes and spend a little bit of extra time really searching our hearts and asking God and praying and seeking his face. Let's ask God to show us whose heart we are following and who ultimately we're after. When was the last time your heart hurt over your sin? When was the last time you stood before God and said, God, it's amazing that you have forgiven me because my sin is so great. See, until we realize the depths of our sin, we cannot realize the height of God's mercy for us. With every head's bowed and eyes closed this morning. What is your heart after today? Is your heart seeking after your will, after your way? Or is our heart relentlessly pursuing the heart of God? The awesome thing about God is when we chase Him, He promises to draw nigh to us. The Bible says it this way, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. We saw David's heart broken over his sin. Do you have unconfessed sin in your life? Now, once you ask for forgiveness, we're not, God doesn't want you to dwell on that in, in the mistakes of your past. When he forgives us, he forgives us. It's forgive and forget. 
But maybe you haven't gotten there yet. Maybe you haven't wrestled with the fact that you sinned against God, against you, and you only have I sinned, David said. Every head's bowed and eyes closed, the altar's open this morning. If you'd like to come down and just cry out to God and say, God, my heart has not been after you. You could use this altar down here. You could pray in your seat. This morning, let's take a little bit of extra time to search what our heart is after.